fucking grown up and y'all are a bunch of amateurs. I mean, the kicker is really, if you're going to get a girl shampoo, at least don't get her the generic kind, you know? Aren't raisinets just chocolate-covered raisins? Hello, and welcome to Pass the Hot Sauce, a Roswell podcast. I'm Lisa Abigail. And I'm Lorena Rose. We're here to talk about every episode of the 1999 WB series Roswell, one episode at a time and spoiler free. Today we're discussing season one, episode 17, Crazy. Unfortunately, Aliza Ora couldn't join us today, but our amazing producer, Ashley Hullett, is here to jump in whenever she has some exciting information to share with us. According to IMDb, this is the one where Isabel makes friends with a new girl at school named Tess. Boo, hiss. Just as Miss Topolsky, yay, returns with a warning that an alien hunter, ooh, is tracking down Max. This episode was written by Tanya St. John, and it was directed by James Whitmore Jr. This is the first of two Roswell episodes he'll direct. He also directed five episodes of Buffy, one episode of Angel, a handful of 21 Jump Street, Dawson's Creek, Dead Like Me, Cold Case, The Good Wife, and just like a whole bunch of NCISs across that franchise and all its spinoffs. So pretty prolific director we've got here once again. And this episode originally aired on the 10th of April 2000, and I think this helps explain why we have such a long previously on, because there was more than a month since the prior episode, the one that I pretend doesn't exist, Sexual Healing, since that aired. So this is also where they moved Roswell to air right after 7th Heaven, which was the WB's strongest shower at the time, uh, to try and give them a strong lead-in audience, because the ratings weren't good. And so there was talk of cancellation, and this is where you had the launch of all of those Save Roswell campaigns. So for anyone who's not familiar, there were fans taking out full-page ads in trade publications and also sending bottles of Tabasco to WB executives. And it worked, obviously. So many bottles of hot sauce. (laughs) There's a very cute picture of Katherine Heigl that I think we've posted before on our Instagram, but I'll have to post again where she's posing... With all the, yeah, she's posing with, like, mountains of hot sauce. Yes. Yeah, I love that photo. There's also such a huge previously on this episode because they're going to, like, wrap up a lot of loose ends and, like, bring back a bunch of stuff we haven't seen in a while. We get to see Topolsky again in this episode, and she's been out of the picture for a while. So we got to refresh everybody's memory while we, like, tie up all these things into like cute little packages so we can dive into a whole new storyline with our new character Tess. Yes. So we open at the crash down and y'all know I try to do music notes for you and I look up the songs but this is one I didn't have to look up because the song that we get in the streaming and DVD versions is by Erin McCune. Yay! Yay! So she's a really awesome queer artist, and uh, she is amazing. She's done tours with Welcome to Night Vale, which is a really fun podcast that's, like, just freaking weird and amazing and fictional. So this is her song, Slung Low, and it replaces the original airings Picture Perfect by Angela Via, which I honestly didn't even listen to because I was like, whatever, I like Aaron McEwen, so I'm just going to listen to this. <laughs> Perfect. Yay. And we see that Michael now works at the Crashdown, so here is his job. We didn't see him work at the Crashdown in the last episode, right? 
No, he finally has found a way to pay for that apartment, I guess. Making minimum wage, probably. Yes. Whatever. But so we finally see he's got a job, so he has a way to pay for this apartment. He's working at the crash down, hanging out with all of his friends. <laughs> Who promptly ditch him. Yeah. Well, so Liz ditches him and work to go hang out with Max, and then Max ditches Isabel to go hang out with Liz. Yep. Super cool. And Maria is just so jaded by love already. Oh, yes. Maria says, go ahead, live the life I so desperately want. (laughs) So dramatic. Oh, Maria. (laughs) Well, okay. So then Michael's like, whatever, we don't need to go find a place to make out. We have my apartment. And Maria's like, good point. And then they both leave work? Yep. And then they just close the crash down and all of the customers in there just have to go home and poor Isabel is left by herself and the Parkers aren't around and there are no other staff there. Yep. Pretty much. That's what happens when you let teenagers run a restaurant. Where are Nancy and Jeff? And were there any consequences for Max and Liz from the last episode? Because we saw them walk in Mm. to the crash down. All the parents were waiting. But it doesn't seem like there were any consequences because they're just like openly dating now, blowing off their other responsibilities to do the same things that got them in trouble before. Yep. Because this is what happens when you let children run a (laughs) restaurant. They're like, cool, cool, I would rather be making out than working. Cool, cool. And then Maria and Michael are the same. Exactly the same. Once again, terrible job, adults in Roswell. Yep. They're all terrible. And then we head to a nice little car makeout scene with Max and Liz. They're up at whatever the little makeout zone is in Roswell. Making out. I believe it is Buckley Point, as we find out later. Buckley Point, thank you. I couldn't remember that. Um, and then a crazy Topolsky shows up. Yeah, okay. So I told y'all that I actually thought this was like a pretty good episode. Mm-hmm. So I want everyone to keep that in mind as I say, what the heck? Like, Topolsky comes up and is like, you're in danger, all of you. And Max is just like, oh my gosh, hey, what's up? Yeah, we're just having a conversation. Great to see you. I am in no way shocked by this at all. <laughs> like, I just came here to make out with my girlfriend and, like, mid-smooch, this kind of disheveled, paranoid-looking woman runs up and starts screaming at me, and I recognize her as the federal agent who was previously trying to capture and imprison me. And my response isn't like, oh, my God, what what the, ah, what are you doing here? Ah, it's just like, oh, hey, girl, hey, like your new hair, sup, is that a new coat? OMG, you look so cute. <laughs> what are they doing? Uh, and how did she know they were there? Has she been following them? She must have been following them from the restaurant. Yeah, none of this makes sense, whatever. <laughs> but I did find out that, so Julie Benz, who plays Miss Topolsky, um, as many of us know, was also in the shows Buffy and Angel. And the stunt double who steps in for her here on this episode of Roswell is Gloria O'Brien, who was the stunt double for Amber Benson, who played Tara on Buffy. I'm sure there's so much overlap with stunt doubles working across things that we would know and recognize. Right, so Gloria O'Brien, the stunt person, also has stunt credits for Angel and for Firefly, the other Joss Whedon shows. Mm-hmm. And, and oh, she did, I don't know if anyone's seen Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, but she did the motocross driving for Drew Barrymore in oh, that movie. I think I saw that movie back in the day. 
I definitely saw the new Charlie's Angels with Kristen Stewart. Oh, I didn't see that. How was it? It was exactly like you would expect uh, Charlie's Angels to be, but it had Kristen Stewart in it. So Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. Being like pretty hot and pretty queer. So I'm here for it. So after we cut to the credits, after the shocking reveal that no one is shocked by, we go to Michael's apartment where Liz and Max are there to tell them about Topolsky and Isabel and Alex have, are, have also showed up. So they're like marshalling the forces. My favorite part of this scene is at the beginning when Michael and Maria are making out and Maria's going, Michael, Michael, Max. And Michael is like, huh? <laughs> it's because she sees Max in the doorway. <laughs> Honestly, if I'm making out with someone and I open my eyes and there are people in the door, I'm not going to say their name the same way that I'm saying the person that I'm making out with. I'm going to be like, ah, Max! <laughs> like, this is an intimate moment. Get out of here. Yeah. And that's why you're not in this show, Ashley. True, true. Because you react like a human. Yeah. (laughs) One thing that I thought was interesting from... So I forgot to say at the beginning, there was commentary again in this episode. Mm. um, And it was um, Shiri Appleby and Mahandra Delfino again. And they were talking about cinematography in this scene. And it's something that once they said it, then I like notice it in other areas. Like when they have these scenes with our six leads, like all in the room together to try and keep like a tight filming schedule and like not have to do multiple takes, they would always be like really tightly choreographed in like almost like a circle formation so that they could Mm. get a lot of like single take stuff with the, um, the cinematographer panning around between them because if they had to set up different camera angles and do multiple shots of these group scenes, it would have like taken a long time and like added money, money, money to the budget, which they did not have. Um, Also the boys did their own hair and the girls did their own makeup. There was like not hair and makeup people on the first season. Like Shiri and Mahandra talk about doing their own makeup and they talk about Brendan and Jason, like being so obsessed with making their hair look perfect because they were in charge of their own hair. I'm going to say Jason could have done a better job. With his tarantula bangs? <laughs> the gladiator bangs? Yeah. I do think it's good, though. Like, I think that Maria and Liz both have very natural-looking makeup. It's not that style that you see a lot in TV shows where, like, everyone's in false eyelashes and heavy eyeliner. And you're like, did you, what? How old are you? Does this mean that Liz put on her own glitter and blind date? Probably. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> That explains a lot, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it does explain a lot. So Liz is telling them about um, how, like, Topolsky doesn't seem to be the same person that she was before, which, like, wow, clearly she's had some major trauma here. And so they're arguing about whether to trust her or not. And Michael, from the beginning, is on team don't trust Topolsky. Yep. Everyone else is like, maybe we should hear her out, like, see what she has to say. And Michael's just like... Nope, don't want to hear it, don't care. Remember that in 30 minutes, kids, when Michael decides uh-huh. that he trusts Topolsky and runs off on his own without telling anyone else except Maria, only because she catches him stealing her car again. And so Max gives Michael the glowy stone that they found in sexual healing for safekeeping. So he now has quite the collection of glowy rocks, because he has the ones from the cave 
that they got from River Dog, and he has this like smooth, glowy rock. So I'm just saying, it's like a nice little little exhibit of mineral specimens that he's got <laughs> up in there. And we continue the theme of the coupledom, where Michael snuggles up to Maria, and Liz and Max snuggle up to each other, and Isabel and Alex just kind of stand there. Stand awkwardly between Aww. the two snuggling couples. So then we cut to them at lunch, where Alex is like, hey, have you noticed all the face sucking? And Isabel's like, cool, thanks, bro. Cool, cool. Yeah. And then we get our new girl, Tess, walking up. Tess is here! Dressed head to toe, all in one color. Also with a purse that is in that one color. <laughs> Yeah, it's a very 90s kind of look. Well, they're in 2000 now, but you know. It's the year 2000. Hello. Yeah. And so Tess is, of course, played by Emily DeRobin, who listeners may know from a bunch of things that I'm guessing Lorena has probably never seen. <laughs> like the show's Lost or Once Upon a Time. I've seen Once Upon a Time. Yay. I've seen it. Not all of it, but I've seen most of okay. it. Okay. So she played Belle in that. I loved her on that. But I haven't seen Lost. And she also was in the Ryan Johnson indie movie Brick with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Or, listeners, perhaps you remember her as the demon Kurupira on the TV show Beastmaster, on which she appeared at the same time that she was on Roswell. Oh, no, I didn't watch that show either. So there you go. And maybe you, like me, were going, what? What is up with her voice? Because I think she's trying to do an American accent. She is. But she's doing a terrible job. She's Australian. Yes. She is so Australian. I don't know if this is going to get better, but golly, I hope they hired her a dialogue coach. I don't remember it getting better, but we'll <laughs> okay, find great. out. Um yeah, this is something they talked about in the commentary too, that um she was not allowed to be Australian. They told her she had to do an American accent. But they hired her, but they didn't want her to be Australian. Okay. Well, so I do, I really like that there's no cattiness between Isabel and Toss, because I think you have this trope frequently where it's like, pretty girl versus pretty girl. Who's the prettier girl? And they're just like, oh my god, we're both so pretty. Like, you must have the same problems I have, right? Where boys are just like, I want to have sex with you. And girls are like, do you want to have sex with my boyfriend? And just like, everyone wants to have sex with you all the time, right? Ha 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 life's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put sugar in our yogurt. Uh, okay, is Tess an alien? Because she's insanely good looking, which, as we know, is our number one qualifier for being an alien. And so we had Isabel, was it in River Dog where she explains that they like really spicy with really sweet? Mm-hmm. Except what we've seen is just them liking really spicy with their savory food. Like Max had the Tabasco on his sunship and Isabel had the Tabasco on her pizza. But Tess is putting sugar in yogurt. Which is already sweet. And then later she puts sugar in soda, both of which are already sweet. I'm speculating that she's an alien. Maybe she's Nisado. Maybe she's just a whole other alien. I don't know. But I'm... Calling it right now. She's too good looking to be a human. And I think that's true of Emily DeRaven as well. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. Okay. All we know right now is she's incredibly good looking. She likes to dress in a monochromatic form. And she puts sugar in her yogurt. And she interrupts poor Alex when he's trying to make inroads with Isabel. Yeah. Oh, poor Alex left out again. 
this is the start of this where Alex is like so close with Isabel. I'm wondering if they talked about the kiss from sexual healing because it oh, seems like yeah. maybe nothing has changed between them, but like the circumstances are obviously different after they kissed. I forgot about that kiss because they really don't like seem to be very bothered by it at all. Right. Except that Isabel isn't actively being like, Alex, quit it. We cannot be mm-hmm. in a relationship together. Alex, I've told you to leave me alone. She's not doing that anymore. Yeah, I'm like less annoyed with Alex because it seems like, well, now he's gotten this other signal from her. So it's not like, oh, Isabel told you no and you're pushing it. It's like, oh, Isabel's giving you real mixed messages. Yeah. So like you're just trying to have this conversation with her and this new girl shows up. And I liked that Alex wasn't like, oh, another pretty girl. Let me transfer my attentions to her. He was just like, hey, what's up? And just treated her like a regular person, even though she is way too good looking to be one. (laughs) And then we head to, we'll just have to leave your questions unanswered for now because we're going to head to Max's house where um, Michael wants love advice and he's drinking OJ out of the carton and out of a glass simultaneously. No, he's drinking it out of the carton, and then Max just, like, subtly hands him a glass. Like, hey, be a civilized person. I missed that part. I just was like, yeah. oh, and now he's pouring it into a glass after he already drank it out of the carton. That seems counterproductive, but <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. I also, I like that Michael comes in telling Max, oh, Maria wants more. And Max is like, oh, you mean? And Michael's like, no, if that's what she wanted, would I be here talking to you? It's like, <laughs> no, you would be banging. That's yeah. what you would be doing. Okay. Got it. No, Maria wants the romance thing. And Michael, to his credit, wants to make Maria happy. So he's looking for some advice for Max, who's like, get her gifts and tell her sweet things. Yeah, pretty much. Take her somewhere nice. Give her surprises. Uh, Maybe that'll get her to stop going to French club instead of meeting you in the eraser room, Michael. You know what I want from a person? Somebody who listens to me. Someone who has common interests. But I'm also not, you know, a 16-year-old girl. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to remember what I wanted as a 16-year-old girl. But I I don't think it had anything to do with romance or sex. I think I just wanted to be left alone to, like, do my own thing and read books. Which, you know, so still still true today. I thought I wanted the boy <laughs> with spiky hair who looked a lot like Michael Guerin in my theater department. <laughs> I took him to the turnabout dance. Awkwardly didn't talk to him the whole night. Is that like Sadie Hawkins? Yeah. Might as well have not been on a date because I probably didn't really speak to him the whole night beyond uh, bringing him to the dance with me. Well, spiky haired guy that Lorena went to the dance with, if you're listening to this, it wasn't you. She's super gay. (laughs) Yeah. His name was Jamie. He was pretty cool. Jamie, I hope this helps and you can finally move on from the greatest loss in your life. (laughs) I know. So Max is making, like we said, some good suggestions when Tess walks in and is like, Heidi, you know, women so well, mate. (laughs) And she's like riding a kangaroo, holding a koala bear. (laughs) Oh, boy. It really, the accent does like slip through quite a lot. (laughs) It's really bad. So Michael seems immediately suspicious of her. I also appreciate that Michael and Max are just like, oh, this insanely good looking person is in our house. What are you doing here? Yeah. How come we've never met her? (laughs) Yeah. And then Tess is like, give me extra sugar for my soda. And I'm like, you're an alien. I really love the line where uh, the boys are upset and Isabel's like, 
what? It's not like I'm going to fall in love with her and just give away our whole existence. She's like, because I'm a fucking grown up and y'all are a bunch of amateurs. <laughs> Although when she says that, I'm like, okay, but like you could fall in love with Tess. No one would be mad about it. Yeah, you could do the whole fall in love part. To be fair, Alex might be a little pissed. <laughs> okay, Alex might be mad about it. Whatever. Maybe they're like, maybe Tess and Isabel are bisexual and they're into a poly relationship and then everyone's happy. Yeah, there we go. You know, now that I'm saying that, though, Alex, it honestly wouldn't surprise me if he was just like, oh, that explains it and just moves on. <laughs> Aw, I, uh, yeah, I feel like Alex would be like, if you're happy, then I'm happy for you. Yep. He's that friend. Because he's just a good guy. Yeah. Speaking of good guys, sort of, not really awkward transition time, we go to the crash down. And did y'all notice that there were just nuns sitting at the counter? Yes. Yes, I did. Why? Was this in the commentary, Lorena? Why are there nuns? It was. um, They actually talked about how the person who was in charge of the extras casting, like, loved to throw in weird stuff. So he... (laughs) I couldn't get from the commentary if they were legitimately actual nuns that they somehow got to be extras on the show, or if he just, like, put people in nun costumes. But, like... The person who did that department of casting or costuming or whatever, like, legitimately tried to throw weird shit in a lot. So maybe that's something we'll have to try and keep an eye out for in other places in the background. All right. Whatever gets you through the day, I guess. (laughs) All right. So these flowers come in this just, like, gigantic flower basket. This has been real expensive. But they come for Liz. And Maria doesn't tip the delivery guy. Not cool. And then she calls to Liz, hey, Gidget, you got some flowers for Moondoggy. And I thought, what a timely topical reference for a teen in the year 2000. Yeah. She is, of course, as we all know, referring to Gidget, which was a 1957 novel adapted into a 1959 film about a girl named Gidget, which is a portmanteau of girl and midget. Nice. Yeah. And it's about her entry into California surf culture. The movie is credited with making this surf culture mainstream. Um, so Gidget's the protagonist. Moondoggy is her boyfriend who she falls in love with after he saves her life. Uh, so some parallels there with the Liz and Max situation. But like, I who who is she watching this movie with? Why? Okay. All right. Whatever. I've never heard of that. Can we watch Gidget for a mini-sode? I'd rather not. (laughs) (laughs) I read a plot synopsis and I don't think any of us want to watch it. Got it. Well, that sounds like some of the other movies we've watched. (laughs) (laughs) Fair point. This time we did our research beforehand. Yeah. 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 And so, of course, there's a note in the flowers that says, meet me at Senor Chow's in an hour alone. And I was like, oh my gosh, this explains so much. Because Liz says this is where they had their first date. Yeah. Which is what we were trying to figure out what the heck that place was. Why it was such a weird Chinese restaurant that didn't seem like a Chinese restaurant. Because it's a Mexican-Chinese fusion restaurant before fusion was a thing. Slash pool hall. Yeah. Apparently. I don't know. So bizarre. So then Liz is just at Senor Chow's because, of course, she leaves work whenever she feels like Mm -hmm. it. Yep. She's wearing a really cute dress. Yeah. She must have left work immediately because she's done hair, makeup, and changed her clothes. So, Uh And she only had an hour to get to Senor Chow's. So 
She must have pieced out of work right away. Although apparently Roswell is just like one main street. So mm-hmm. maybe she went upstairs, changed, and then just popped next door. Probably. But regardless, yeah, she just abandons her job whenever. And then we get Julie Benz in the world's worst way. Oh, yes. <laughs> My note is literally, Topolsky in the worst wig. Yeah. With like a shiny nose and a very urgent kind of like fevered tone of voice. It's, uh, it's a little upsetting. But she tells Liz, you're smart. I knew you were the one I could get through to. I'm like, but why though? But okay. But I, okay. Because she's the smart one. Oh, right. Because they keep telling us she's smart yeah. even though they don't show us. Right, yeah. right. I forgot. I forgot Liz was smart because there's been no evidence of it. Or Topolsky is just like feeding into her ego saying you're the smart one because she has to try a new tactic now because approaching Max while he was making out with Liz didn't work. So tactic number two. That's a good point. So Topolsky is there to tell them the FBI is after them, but it's actually more complicated than that. And Topolsky tells her in the start of the like, ooh, is this a big conspiracy or, or is Topolsky crazy? Uh, she says, I've learned things, seen things that no one would believe. Sometimes I don't even believe them myself. And when Liz asks where she's been all this time, Topolsky says, Tuh-hell. and then heavy metal music starts playing in my mind. <laughs> but we also learn that there is an alien hunter, top secret alien hunter within the FBI who is like on an it's on a need to know basis even with the president and he answers to <laughs> no one and he'll stop okay. at nothing. Okay. And these kids are all on his list. Mhm. And Liz seems to believe her at least yeah. in this moment. And so Topolsky says to meet her tomorrow night behind the theater at eight o'clock. She'll know more by then, but how will she know more? Does she still have contacts in the FBI? Like how is she going to get more information between now and then? She has her ways. Okay. She answers to no one also. She'll stop at nothing. (laughs) Uh, Then we go to school where Max greets Liz with gross kissing noises. (laughs) It's like the world's biggest hello smooch. And she tells him she saw Topolsky the night before. And again, I wonder, do they not have telephones? No. Would this not be something that you immediately would call someone and be like, oh my gosh, I got these flowers. I thought they were from you. I showed up at this restaurant. You'll never guess what happened. Nope. Oh, okay. (laughs) Problem solved. Question answered. Maybe they're still grounded and they don't have use of their phones. They were going to make out point. Yeah, I know. She skipped out of work to go to make out point, but she's not allowed to call him on the phone. But her parents think she's at work. Right. They're upstairs, just assuming she's downstairs working. Not checking on her ever. Not noticing when she comes upstairs to change into date clothes. Okay. So then we head out to the reservoir, where we have our six fabulous friends together. The three humans are super spooked about how things are developing with Topolsky, and... They want to be a team with all six of them, the aliens and the humans, together. And Liz tells them, I have never seen anyone that scared before, to which Alex replies, have you taken a look at me lately? I'm like, (laughs) oh, buddy. Poor little Alex. (laughs) He didn't ask to be dragged into all of this. So Michael thinks that Topolsky is working the humans to try and get them to turn the aliens over to the FBI, Isabel thinks the humans couldn't possibly understand. 
So they take a vote, and Alex, Liz, and Maria, all the humans, vote to meet with Topolsky, and Isabel, Max, and Michael all vote not to, but when Maria hears Michael's vote, she changes her vote to support him. She doesn't vote at the beginning, though. I don't think she... Does she? She doesn't, but she says that she's going to change her vote, so I think it's implied that she was with Liz. I don't know. It's not clear. Yeah. Either way, The point way, is that she 42. changes her vote because she wants to support Michael, and also her breasts are out there supporting Michael as well. She's wearing a very <laughs> low-cut tank top. I don't know if anyone noticed this, but I couldn't help but... She also, uh, in the commentary, she talked about how that, uh, much like Maria with her water bra, um, Mahandra was in an extra padded bra zone trying to make herself look bustier and more grown up um, in this phase of the TV series. Yeah, I, uh, excellent job. Especially when you have people like Emily DeRaven and Katherine Heigl. <laughs> Playing opposite oh, you. Oh, I hope they weren't all competing. Oh, I didn't look at how old Emily Durabin was when they filmed this, but Catherine Heigl was older yeah. than Shiri and Mahandra by a few years there. So this ends with Max comforting Liz and Isabel leaving. Once again, Max is with his love interest at the expense of being with his family. Womp womp. Are we surprised? No, we just continue to be disappointed. Yep. Pretty much. And then we head to a nice little creepy alley scene with <laughs> yeah. Topolsky running around and hiding. And she's all like wearing a big coat and getting freaked out by the homeless people looking real crazy. And she also conspicuously checks her watch so we can see that it's nine o'clock, a full hour after she asked Liz to meet her there. Mm-hmm. So it seems pretty clear at this point that no one's coming. And she's... All on her own, yet again, poor Topolsky. So instead, she heads to Jim Valenti's <laughs> house. Who clearly doesn't have a very good home security system, because she is waiting for him yep. when he comes home. And I, it was unclear. I couldn't tell if this was the same house from previous episodes, or if they've <laughs> moved yet again. It's hard to tell, because all we see is the bar. I think it's different, though. We're seeing different angles, so it might be the same but I don't think so. <laughs> Let's hope it's the same. It's just a part of the house we haven't seen yet. Yeah, it's like his study or something. Yeah. Well, it's his bar area. There's like liquor behind him and stuff. Which he will drink in a moment. Yes, he will. But first, Sapolsky tells him, I will never make it out of this. And so she ends up explaining this a little bit more. So the reason she's there is because the sheriff killing Hubble sent up a red flag. So we're finally acknowledging that this happened, although we never find out how the sheriff explained that situation. So when Topolsky's cover in Roswell was blown, she was sent back to Washington. And this is when she found out about the special alien hunter unit in the FBI. Yeah. And the person in charge seems to be uh, maybe a little psychotic because she says that she was debriefed for four weeks by the agent in charge, Pierce, because she was the first to make direct contact with Max and whatever he did to her has left her kind of broken. She says, after what he did to me, I'd hate to see how he treat the enemy, implying that for some unknowable reason, they're essentially torturing their own agents. Yep, that's the impression I got, too. 
So maybe he thinks like she's holding out on him. She's not sharing all the information. And so he goes harder on her. But it also seems like he's just like, I'm gonna guess a white man, a white cis man who has gotten access to a lot of power and is like, hmm, let me see how far I can take this. Well, I definitely got the impression that he just assumed that she found out more information than she was giving them. And after she got pulled from the assignment, he was trying to pull out that information from her by force. Yeah, it just seems like a weird tactic for people who are well-versed in behavioral science. Uh, Because as we all know, torture does not work in getting you any reliable information. So it seems like it's more of just a power trip for him. But do you know who isn't probably well-versed in behavioral tactics? The writers of this show. Fair. I mean, also, like, the U.S. government has continued to use these tactics, even though they don't work. Yeah, I really thought you were going to say the FBI. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... Topolsky tells Jim, once you know about the unit, you never get out. And she says, quote, the problem is they kill people and there's no one to stop them. And that is not why I became an agent, Jim. She became an agent to, what, change lives, I guess? Yeah, I mean, whatever. It's law enforcement. She wants to be a good person and do good things, I guess. I don't know. But she hasn't demonstrated her desire to be a good person previous to this episode. She was an asshole, before and not very nice well but like liz says she's a different person that's now. true that's true. and we all know how consistent the writing is on this show <laughs> and this is where we find out that jim's name is on the list too so he is also in danger and jim so i the first time i watched this i kind of thought that jim believed her but then the second time i watched it i was like oh no he thinks she's crazy What did y'all think? I think he thinks she's crazy. But also then he does like go help protect the kids. So. Right. And he does look into Agent Stevens after Topolsky tells him that (laughs) Pierce made an example out of him for the rest of us. Piece by by piece. piece. It's like, did they dismember him in front of you? What are you saying? (laughs) That's what that sounds like. Gross. Uh, Poor Richard Schiff. (laughs) Poor guy. So if anyone has forgotten, he is the fellow who was here in the very beginning of the series calling Jim's dad Sergeant Martian and telling him that there's nothing weird going on. There are no aliens currently residing in Roswell, New Mexico. Well, you don't know what you're talking about, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so maybe he thinks she's crazy initially, but then he does follow up about Agent Stevens and then maybe he realizes there's at least some truth to what she's saying, even if he still thinks she's a little bit crazy. Yeah, so we go to his little office. He's drinking Jim Beam, looking through his paper Rolodex. Yeah. Which is like a cell phone contact book, but on paper for some reason that I'm sure no kids today can possibly imagine. Yep. And so he calls the FBI first, and the lady who answers the phone, who's just like, FBI, maybe at headquarters, knows who Agent Stevens is and knows he's no longer working there. And then Jim calls Agent Stevens' wife, who's clearly asleep, apologizes for calling so late, even though there's someone manning the desk at the FBI at this hour. Fine. 24-7. Great. And she's like... Who is this? Why don't you know? My husband's dead. Why don't they just tell everybody, for God's sakes? And we're like, whoa. (laughs) Whoa, lady. All right. 
all right, extra who had those couple lines. Yeah. Good job making the most of them. I also want to point out that the address they give in the Rolodex for the FBI is 106 Hudson Ave Northwest, which is not a real address in D.C. I don't know why they did this. Um, It is a real zip code, though, unlike this. So the address they give for his home is 6025 Murray Lane, also not an address in Alexandria, Virginia, where they say the zip code is 222313. That's too many digits. That's too many. (laughs) So I assume that they meant 22313, and good old Jimmy Boy just made a typo. But cool work, prop master, set dresser, whoever. What you doing, buddy? Six-digit zip codes. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a thing someday. Yeah, those are the the super secret ones that only the top government agents are allotted. Yeah, definitely. So that you can't find their house otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, And now we're back at the crash down. Where uh, Maria is pissed off because she wants Michael to earn her. To which point Michael says, that's how Boy Scout merit badges work. I thought this was really cute. So they first have this little exchange. Like, Maria and Liz both want their food and it's really delayed. And Michael, which, you know, what I think is a good move. Mm-hmm. Michael is like, hey, their chili dog's not ready. So, like, give them these Saturn rings to just hold them over. And Maria's like, ugh. You can't deliver to a customer what they want, so you substitute with an inferior item just to get them off your back. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like great customer service, Maria. (laughs) That sounds like that's how that works. Like, I'm sorry you had to wait so long. Here's something extra for your trouble. Yeah, I would be thrilled if the waiter was like, I'm sorry your food is taking so long. Have some free onion rings. Yes. Great. Fantastic. But yeah, I think I'm on Michael's side here. Like, he has a point. Maria is treating their relationship a little bit transactionally Mm -hmm. and he's like no Maria I just watched Aladdin and I want to tell you that you're not some prize to be won (laughs) (laughs) and then Michael's like all right well I know what you want so let's go out on a double date tonight and act normal even though this is a thing we've never done before so it's not normal for us but whatever don't worry about it let's go to that restaurant where Liz met that FBI agent That won't be suspicious to anyone. No, that's not a weird place to go at all. (laughs) Let's really go to the restaurant now that Liz went there with Topolsky for fakesies. (laughs) They just didn't want to build another set. Yep, pretty much. What if it's the only, like, good restaurant in town outside of the crash down? What if it's the only other restaurant in town, period? Yeah, so they have one diner and one Mexican-Chinese pool hall. They only have one, so they roll it all in together. (laughs) Oh, okay, yeah. Mahandra did say in the um, commentary for this episode that that was an actual restaurant that they filmed in. It was in Pomona, California. Uh. So it wasn't a set like on the studio lot. That was like a a physical location okay. that they went to and did over. Same as the crash down, since that was an actual place on the street in Covina. Was it an actual Chinese Mexican fusion restaurant? She didn't say that part, but she did mention it was uh. an actual a restaurant in Pomona and there was um, a jewelry shop next door where she bought something and then never went back to pick it up. Apparently. (laughs) All right. So there's probably still holding it for her 20 years later. Sounded like it was like a personalized item or something. So, and then she never went back to pick it up. Was it that Maria necklace that she sometimes wears? Did she want one for herself? Mahandra. Probably. (laughs) 
Those were in at that time. I mean, it would work, right? Isn't her full name Maria Alejandra? Maybe. I think it. I think that's what was shortened to Mahandra. That makes sense. We can ask her. She's very active on social media. Yeah. Maybe she'll respond. <laughs> um, she wished me a happy birthday. So, I like, you know, that. we're basically best friends. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> So then we go to the UFO Center, where, of course, my question is, Milton, 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 where is Milton? Where is Milton? Why isn't Milton here? Where is Milton? Why is no one talking about Milton? He's not here. Leave it. Leave it. Milton, oh, Milton, I want you a dog. You showed up to work when slacking is the default. We miss you. Back to us, Milton. And then Jim shows up to warn Max about crazies coming to fill his head up with conspiracy theories. I wonder who he's talking about. He's being so subtle. Who could ever know? Tobolsky! Oh. And he says, Roswell attracts all kinds. You never know who's going to turn out to be your friend or your enemy. Take me, for example. And I'm like, okay, Phil Sadler, I will. Thanks for the permission. <laughs> you can have him. Thanks. But he's talking about how he's like the law or whatever, and most boys wouldn't trust him. But like, on the other hand, I'm here to protect you. Remember that time I didn't let Hubble murder you? Remember how I protected you? See, look, I'm protecting you. Yeah. And so he... Gives him the same advice Topolsky gave, essentially, which is just be normal. Don't do anything weird. Like, you know, be an alien. Don't do that. Max is like, okay, cool, thanks. I'm sorry, I couldn't pay attention to the scene because after he was like, take me, I was like, okay. (laughs) Okay, it's a little little weird because he's like 70 now. But at the time, he was only 50, so it's fine. (laughs) Yeah, it's all fine. Age is just a number, right? As uh, the great Aaliyah reminded us, age ain't nothing but a number. And then we head back to the crashdown. We're in the back room at the crashdown where Alex just wanders back there, even though he doesn't work there or anything. And the girls are just changing back there with, like, the door open, even though it's a public space where, like, anyone could walk back there, like, the other cooks or, like, Liz's parents, if they exist still, or, like... (laughs) I mean, obviously, patrons can just walk back there, too, because, like, here's Alex walking in on the girls in their bras. I really appreciate Alex's response to this, though, because the second he sees them, he turns around and lets them know that he's there. He's like, oh, no, peep show. Like, I don't want this. Yeah. You're my friends, and I respect you, and so I'm not going to look. I had a moment here where I was reminded of Xander in Buffy, who I don't remember what episode it is, but, like, she's changing. Never kill a boy on their first date. Thank you, Ashley. So, and he, Xander is in her room while she's changing and she's like, turn around and he's trying to sneak a peek at her because he's a disgusting person. And I feel like Alex has that same like quirky, weird, trying to fit in with the group, not really sure what his place is. Like he has that same energy, but he's not a misogynist. Mm -hmm. And it's so much better. He just respects his friends. Except he does not respect them very much because he bought them raisinettes. Okay, okay, fair point. Aren't raisinettes just chocolate-covered raisins? 
Yes. Well, sort of, but like buying chocolate covered raisins at the grocery store is actually nicer than raisinettes, which are Mm. somehow weird and gross and processed and have been sitting in a box for five years because nobody buys raisinettes. Maybe they were on sale at Blockbuster where he went to get these. Oh, Blockbuster. I think they would have been DVDs by this point, right? Not VHSs. It still could have been both. I definitely still had a VCR and probably rented and bought VHSs a lot still because now they were cheaper. Mm-hmm. Well, in any case, Alex has... Oh, wait, sorry. So there's something I wanted to say about how much I love Alex first, which is that when Maria's like, oh, it's nothing you haven't seen before, Alex is like, don't be too sure. And I like that he's just like, yep, haven't seen Girls Naked. It's fine. I'm not embarrassed by it. This is cool. Like, we all have different levels of sexual experience, and it doesn't mean anything about in, about us in any way. Whatever. Alex mm-hmm. is very accepting of being just exactly who he is and being confident in it. Well... He is confident in it, but he comes off with, like, a nervous vibe, but... Yes. But he's like, this is where I'm Like, he's trying to find his place in the world, but he knows who he is. Mm Mm-hmm. So anyway, he's brought them Scream 2, which Maria and Liz both hated. Ugh. What's wrong with that? I haven't seen it. The whole Scream franchise is fucking fantastic. Also, Sarah Michelle Gellar is in Scream 2. Yeah, that's one of the things that really bothers me in TV shows and movies where they, like, reference other actors or projects that other actors have been in who are in things with actors who are in this show. Like Sarah Michelle Gellar and Julie Benz were in Buffy together. So in this universe, Buffy isn't a thing, but Sarah Michelle Gellar is a thing. I don't like it. It gets too complicated. (laughs) Can Notting Hill be a thing, though, because Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts aren't in this universe? Yeah. Is that who's in Notting Hill? Yes. I've seen that one. Oh, look at you. It's a good one. I like it. I pretty much only like heteronormative romantic comedies if they're from my youth. Okay. I never like them. (laughs) Um, And I think this is a bummer because Alex, like, clearly thinks they're hanging out. It seems like this is something they've talked about. He's like, I'm going to rent movies. And they're like, awesome. Oh, JK, we're going out with our boyfriends. Bye. 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 But Isabel's not going out with them, so maybe Isabel and Alex can hang out together. Maybe. And maybe they can take a shower together because they now have all these bath products that Max (laughs) and Michael have brought. Bubble bath? To make your skin feel nice or to make you smell good? I don't remember what he said. To make your skin soft. Okay, got it. And then um, generic two-in-one shampoo conditioner. (laughs) It's a real time saver. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't know what brand she uses. Yeah, but I think that the point is that he bought literally the cheapest, like, generic yeah. brand that he could no, find. I know. And she I was know. like, what the hell is this? <laughs> but I love his, like, justification for it. He's like, well, I didn't know which brand you use. Like, so obviously I'll just get generic. Like, it right. satisfies everything. Oh, he's trying. <laughs> and then the, the lovebirds head out on their double date. Maria has really cute curly hair, and then Alex and Isabel are left together again, and a very sweet line happens where Alex says that, he says, I would do anything to protect you. And then Isabel responds, nobody's ever said that to me before. I mean, except for Max and Michael, but they're my brothers. 
And I think this is the first time that we see Isabel refer to Michael as her brother in the same way that she refers to Max as her brother. And I think it's really sweet. I think you're right. And I agree. It's a very whole sweet little scene. And then Tess fucking shows up ruining everything again. Alex and (laughs) Isabel are having a nice moment. Isabel is like talking about her brothers. And then here's Tess with her mediocre American accent. (laughs) Yeah. And then she calls, I get, you said it was Hugh Grant, right? Yeah. Uh huh. In the movie. So she calls Hugh Grant a little English wimp who didn't deserve Julia Roberts Mm -hmm. in the movie. Is this accurate? Uh, no, I think they're sweet together in the movie. I think he deserves okay. her. She also calls Alex Al, and he's like, no, no, that's not my name, which I really appreciate, because even though my name is also only two syllables yeah. and extremely common, I've had multiple people try to give me min- nicknames, and I'm like, oh, no, you can either learn my name or you can not talk to me, and those are your only two options. <laughs> and I like that Alex was like, mm, this isn't going to fly. You're going to call me by my name and show me that respect. Mm -hmm. But then they go out on their girls' night and leave him alone. Yeah, his moment doesn't last long. No. Not a long moment. So close, though. And then Alex heads outside in the spooky rain, where he gets followed by a creepy car. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? On one of Roswell's many always deserted streets. Yes. And, okay, so a car pulls up, a man rolls down the window, just enough to talk to Alex, not enough so that we can see his face. I think that we're meant to believe that this is Agent Pierce. That's my thought, that this is the alien hunter. And when we pan back to Alex, I don't know if y'all noticed this, I thought the cinematography in this episode was really interesting. When we pan back to Alex, there's a giant white neon cross behind him. Mm -hmm. Did you guys see that? Yes, I did. So it's, like, over his shoulder implying that he is about to be sacrificed or something. Um, Or maybe that he's pure and saintly. I don't really know exactly what they were going for with this imagery. Or that was just on the street and just happened to be in the shot. And they didn't like, and they didn't think about it? I don't know. I would say it has to be intentional, but (laughs) it's this show. So who knows? Could go either way. If it was on the street already, it, they very well could have just been like, oh, that's cool. Stand in front of that. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like a lot of the decisions made on the show are just like, man, try that out. Yeah. Well, we're going to say something here, but we don't know what we're saying. But trust us, it's going to look cool. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, Jim comes to save the day before this creepy man can uh, kidnap Alex. I'm curious how he just happens to be there like is he also just following them now i don't know or it's just luck i yeah but he's there to the rescue he's there maybe he was chilling outside the crash zone waiting for no if he was waiting for Liz and max he would have followed them so why would he be hanging around waiting for alex maybe he was looking for topolsky and also the sheriff department is also right there maybe he somehow just happened to see alex walk out because he was also walking to his car or whatever, you know, because it is on the same street in this universe, right? Everything's on the same street. I don't know. The UFO center is directly across the street. Yeah. I think we've speculated that the sheriff's office is nearby, but I don't know that it's ever been confirmed. But I do really appreciate Jim here saying, come on, I'll give you a ride home. No questions asked, mm-hmm. because that's what Alex needed in this scene. And I think this is... 
Jim's further evolution into good guy territory, where he's showing up to support the kids, and he's finally out of this villain zone where he's just like, are you an alien? I will hunt you! He's like, oh, you're your kids, and it's my job to protect you, so I'm gonna do that. Max's breakdown, I think, really got to him. Yes. Yeah. I think the whole situation with Hubble put him in a really, like, uh, introspective state of mind. I'm sure that taking someone's life is something that always makes you think. Mm-hmm. Even in a show that's written in the way that this one is, you would imagine that that action had an impact on this character. And he made the decision to save Max, regardless of the effects that it had on his career, which luckily turned out to be none. Yep. He's just fine. Because we don't write consequences. Um, and then we had to Senior Chow's for the double date. And Michael is such a romantic. I mean, hasn't been as bad as he thought it would be. And Maria needs to pay the bill because he doesn't have any money. Ugh. So, like, honestly, this is kind of fair, but something they should have discussed beforehand. You can't just go on a date and expect someone to pay for you, regardless of the genders of the people involved. Yeah. You either offer to split it or you talk to them beforehand. Like, he could have pulled Maria aside and been like, listen, I don't get paid until Tuesday. Do you think maybe you could get this one and I'll get the next one? Or whatever. But, like, to have this conversation in front of Max and Liz after they've eaten, after they've been charged, and someone has to pay for this food for him to just be like, all right, girl, you got this. Yeah, so blasé about it, too. It's just like, oh, yeah, no, it's you got to get this. (laughs) Yeah, you you have to pay for this. But Maria's finally calling Michael out about it. Yeah, I like her little speech here. I like that Max has to kick Michael real hard under that table to get him to go after her. So... Maria gives this amazing little mini speech. Michael, you have no table manners. All you do is talk about yourself and you have absolutely no regard for anyone else around you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the kicker is really, if you're going to get a girl shampoo, at least don't get her the generic kind, you know? (laughs) So I was trying to think here, for someone as good looking as Michael Guerin slash Brendan Fair... Is it realistic that he would not know how to interact with girls? Because on the one hand, I feel like he would have had more dating experience, but on the other hand, I feel like he's so good looking that girls maybe would just give him a pass. It kind of seems like they, this is the first time that they're really crossing that line. Like Liz and Maria are their first, like, it's okay for us to like trust someone and date them and like let them in. I don't think that they've ever interacted with many people at all in general, not just girls, but even other friends. It seems like the trio kind of kept to themselves until the incident at the crash down. So do you think he's not even like made out with random girls at parties or something? Probably not. This is just his first dating. He probably hasn't even really been to parties because if they didn't hang out with other people at all, they just were their tight knit group of three. They probably weren't even really at parties and stuff. I mean, Isabel was. But they're also good looking. Isabel was like going out and doing her thing. (gasps) Sorry, I know that's not the only thing in life, but it's very distracting. And it is high school. Yeah, it seemed like Isabel was going out. And doing stuff. But the boys were not. That's true. Isabel was going on dates. Yeah, Isabel's got her 15 dates with 15 different guys lined up for, like, at the beginning of the month, she calendars out. I'm sure there's a color-coded system. Mm-hmm. I see that for her. Okay, so Michael comes back to Maria's little, like, hey, you kind of suck with, like, well, if I'm such a loser, then why do you want to be with me? And Maria doesn't have an answer for him. 
at least not right away. And he's like, got it. Okay. It's very sad. Yeah. Kind of fair, but sad. And then he goes home and his house has been trashed. What's going on? Oh my God, it's Topolsky again. Ah, she's got the glowy stone. She found it. And she tells us it's a communicator and that she has the other one. Ooh. And they only work when they're together, which doesn't make any sense. What is it communicating with? Why would you need two different devices together? What? Are they like walkie-talkies? But they only work if you're in the same room as the other walkie-talkie. In which case, you could just talk to each other. (laughs) Maybe you need to be holding both of them. Hold one to your ear and hold the other one to your mouth. Oh, yeah. And then when they are in that proximity to each other and at that angle, then you can communicate with your home planet. That's what I see. So where my brain went with it was that, I guess, I don't know... Why? But you push them together, right? And then it like holograms you an image. Oh, that's better. That makes so much more sense (laughs) than it being an old timey telephone. It could really be anything. That's just where my brain went. No, your brain went to a more sensical place than my brain went to. In any case, Topolsky tells Michael very earnestly, like, if I do this thing for you, if I risk my life for you, I need to know that you will take me with you when your people come to get you. And I'm like, oh, baby girl. This is where the this is where the crazy's coming out a little bit. <laughs> and then Topolsky tells Michael, we're all going to die, and it's not going to be pleasant. This isn't one of those fun deaths, Michael. No. This is one of those FBI-induced chop-you-up-in-little-pieces-to-make-an-example-out-of-you deaths. Yeah. And now we're back at the reservoir or the quarry or the middle of nowhere, wherever we are, where the kids like to go to be alone. And one of these shots has made it into the opening credits. Yes. Which are different in this episode than in previous episodes. Yes. Like, they updated it. And there are some really cool shots, like... I think throughout this episode, there are some interesting camera angles, and this is one of them where they're kind of panning over the six of them so you can see them all as a group and the different places they're standing in, which uh, indicate maybe their allegiances. Mm -hmm. And Max says there are only five people in the world that he trusts, and they're all right there, which is really nice. Yeah. Like, they're more of a group at this point. Mm -hmm. Lorena, I know you've read at least some of the Roswell Hype books. I've been reading them, and one of the things that I really appreciate is that the six of them in the books are, like, a unit. They're all really good friends. It would be totally normal for any one of them to hang out with any other one of them. Yes, agreed. Which I don't think we've gotten in the show. And so I like that they seem to be headed more in that direction. Yeah, that they all are a group together. Okay, so Max trusts them, yada yada. Alex believes that their lives are in danger. Liz says they don't know what part of Topolsky's stories are true. So Max says, all right, well, let's just trust no one. And they all kind of agree, except Michael clearly doesn't. He's on his own journey again, doing his own thing, as Michael likes to do when things don't go his way. And then I did not like this moment where Maria apologizes to Michael for running him to be the perfect boyfriend because it's not important considering everything else going on right now. And I get that, like, priority shift, but... I don't think she should give up on what she wants from a relationship because of this. And then the moment that we've all been waiting for, especially Maria comes, where Michael's about to say how he feels about her. He's like, if anything happens to me, I just want you to know that. And she's like, oh, it's okay. I know. 
And I'm like, I don't know. Tell me. <laughs> Tell me, Michael. Say the words. Just say them out loud once. Just say them. Maybe Maria's not really ready to hear them yet either. But what about me? I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're back at the crash down again, where I don't think I've said this before. I fucking love the wallpaper and the murals on the walls of the crash yeah. down. I know I've taken notes about it before, especially about the wallpaper that's in some sections of the store, but you get a really good pan of the restaurant this time where you get to see like the detail wallpaper you get to see the big mural i like it i'm here for it i like the theming this is another one of the shots from this episode that i really liked and i think that it does a nice job of sort of showing the isabel alex dynamic Mm -hmm. they don't spend long on it at all but isabel's just like oh hey i hope you don't mind hanging out i don't want to be alone tonight and he's like me neither and we just move on Mm -hmm. we don't really acknowledge it but like they're there being each other's friends and it's very sweet it's just a nice little friend moment which is contrasted with (laughs) grand theft auto contrasted with michael trying to steal maria's car again again like doesn't he know at this point if he just said can i borrow your car she probably would have said yeah hun go ahead I think he just doesn't want her going with him. Yeah, it never works. Just <laughs> just take yeah, her. She's like, if you're taking my car, I'm going too. Yeah, and I do like Maria being like, oh, yeah, you're just going to steal my car? Oh, okay. Hey, Sheriff, my car's been stolen. Hmm, how do you think that's going to go, Michael? And he's like, fine, come along. And she's like, oh, I need a jacket? And all of us are like, well, obviously she's going to tell someone. Yeah. But Michael's just like, yeah, whatever, hurry. So she leaves this note telling them where they're going back to Makeout Point, a.k.a. Buckley Point, which Liz luckily finds so they can go after Maria and Michael and we can have a cute little uh, not quite chase scene. Yep. And Michael has now had a total change of feelings. He is completely convinced that Topolsky was against them, but now is on her side. Like, he's just had a total change of heart. And I think that... Maria thought she would be able to talk Michael out of this when she initially got in the car with him. And when she realizes that she can't talk him out of it, she freaks out. Freaks out. She says, I'm not kidding. You can't make me go through this. You can't put me in danger like this. Not if I don't want to go. And it's clear that she's really scared. Yeah. And Michael is just like, I don't know what to do here because he wants to do this, but he also does respect Maria and what she wants. And I don't. Like, he doesn't want to hurt her. And so we get this weird moment where they're trying all, they're all trying to figure out what to do. Liz says that they can't be more than 10 minutes behind them. I'm like, how long did y'all wait to follow? Because Maria left you that note and then you immediately found it. And there's this really, I like Maria's little speech that she has here. She starts to get really emotional. I'm just going to do a little poem of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But she says, it's not just about you. What you do affects me. I care about you too much. And then when Michael says, I've been waiting for this my whole life, Maria, like through tears, says, so have I. And it's so sad. But it's so sweet. Because what Michael really wants is one kind of family. And what Maria really wants is another kind of family. They both just want connection. And then Max and Liz and Isabel and Alex roll up and... Max just punches Michael when he doesn't get his way. I hate this. Yeah. So I do like that when they see the headlights before they know who it is, Michael tries to get Maria to run away. And she's like, no, I'm going to stay with you. 
because I don't want you to get hurt. Mm-hmm. And so they're look they're both looking out for each other, which I like. I obviously don't like the punch, especially in light of what we just saw in Independence Day with Michael's history of physical abuse at the hands of someone that he trusts. Yeah, that like, it really hurt me emotionally when I saw it. I was like, no, you're his best friend, his brother. You know what he's just gone through like his whole life and it all just came out and he got emancipated and all this crap. And now you're going to do to him the same thing that he just got rid of. Yeah, he got emancipated in, like, three hours. He clearly worked the system <laughs> as hard as possible. To get away from him. Ugh. Luckily, the sheriff shows up so they don't have to fight. And then also, ooh, someone else shows up at the same time. I think this is a well-constructed scene. It's very tense. Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh. We get Dr. Margolin, the psychiatric specialist. And did we all notice where Dr. Malcolm Margolin is from? According to Jim, Bethesda, Maryland. Do you know who else is from Bethesda, Maryland? Is it you, Lisa? It's me! (laughs) Yay! So I assume that this is some kind of reference to what is now called Walter Reed at the time would have been the naval... The Naval Hospital in Bethesda. Um, So probably the FBI same people there. Anyway, so Bethesda is like a hub for medical research. The National Institutes of Health are based there. I've been there. And Walter Reed. Cool. I've been to Walter Reed, too. I did hospital clowning at the National Institute of Health and Walter Reed Hospital. That's so fun. Mm -hmm. That's probably way more fun than whatever Topolsky was supposedly doing there. Probably. (laughs) So this... Quote, unquote, doctor says that he's been treating Topolsky for the past six weeks following a mental breakdown she had, and he tells them she's paranoid delusional. That means she's desperately afraid of things that don't exist to the point that she makes up elaborate scenarios to justify the fears that she has. And they're all like, sounds reasonable. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not that there are real aliens because we know there are real aliens because we're the real aliens. Jeez Louise, man. I mean, this is giving them all a very convenient out. They're like, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, she's psycho. Got it. And the doctor says that they used Topolsky's credit card to track her to Roswell. And so I know, like, maybe the kids wouldn't pick up on that, but I would think that at least the sheriff would be like, I don't know, if she's really paranoid, would she be using her credit card? Which she knows you can track. Also, if she was, like, under psychiatric treatment... I mean, I guess if she was outpatient, she would still have access to her stuff. But if she was really had had a psychotic break and was under psychiatric treatment, wouldn't she probably be in a medical facility without like access to her things and like the ability to like sign her out of her herself out of the hospital? Yeah, if she's been in a mental hospital for the past month, you would think that there would be some kind of continuous care, so they would at least know if she had gone missing. I don't know what the laws are like psychiatric holds are limited in time but if you have someone who's committed that's usually for a period of time whether it's voluntary or not they have to stay also jim says that the doctor came by his office that morning in which case why didn't they just tell the kids this earlier why didn't they show up to the crash down where they knew they would be and be like hey i know sapolsky maybe told you to meet her somewhere but i want you to know she's been under psychiatric observation so anything she said to you you should probably disregard you don't need to waste your time doing this late night chase thing even though it would make for a really cool tv scene <laughs> but where would we be in our really cool tv show if we didn't have really cool tv scenes 
And so the sheriff tells them to go home, and they leave the glowy stone behind for some dumb reason. They have to. Do they, though? Because otherwise, Jim would see them go mm-hmm. and pick it up. It's over close to him. They don't have a way they can get it unless they somehow try and loiter until Jim leaves. But obviously, he's going to wait until they leave safely before he leaves safely. So they don't have a way to go get it. Oh, look, is that my pet rock over there? Let me go get it. Hey, Ralph, pet rock. What's up, buddy? Let's go home. It's been such a hard day. Now Jim just has it. That's not better. But it'll make something interesting happen with the plot, I bet. And then was it Max? It was like, way to go, Michael. Uh, excuse me, if you hadn't punched him, he wouldn't have dropped it and thrown it over against the tree. Right? Ugh, rude. So then we go to Dr. Margolin's car, and surprise, surprise, not Dr. Margolin. This is Nocedo, who changes his face yet again, and importantly, eats what are now very clearly Tic Tacs. They sound like Tic Tacs. The bottle, the like container is very clearly Tic Tacs. Maybe he just likes Tic Tacs. Maybe. They don't have to be medication or anything. He just could like Tic Tacs. I just want to assume that it boosts his shape-shifting powers. There's some element in Tic Tacs that helps him. Like selenium and head and shoulders. <laughs> that would be a quirky little trait. Like who would be like, you know what would make this character more interesting? If he w- was obsessed with Tic Tacs. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot better than, I know y'all haven't watched the new Roswell, New Mexico yet, but instead of hot sauce, they drink nail polish remover. Ew, What? They were like, well, we didn't have the rights to Tabasco, so we just went for something weird. And I was like, y'all, like, there are other brands of hot sauce, or you could have just made up your own. How about Frank's Red Hot? Like, (laughs) their slogan is literally, we put that shit on everything. It would be perfect. Or just be like, Roswell Hot Sauce, and then it would have tied in perfectly with our website and social media handles. True. So Margolin is the shapeshifter. He has shapeshifted shapeshifted into yet another shape of some burly backpacker. And then we head back to the forest uh, where Topolsky is waiting with the communicator stone. And then she gets captured by the fucking alien hunter FBI people. Poor Topolsky. She's been used as a pawn this whole time. The alien hunter, I assume this is Pierce, says, good work, Agent Topolsky. You led me right to them. And she's like, Oh, no, thank you. That wasn't part of my plan. I'll just go now. And they're like, ha, 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 ha. And they grab her and throw her in the car. And the last we see of her is being taken away, being manhandled into this car and then driven off while she's like sob screaming. Great work, Julie Benz. Yes, yes, great work. And then that's the end of our episode. All right, Lorena and Ashley, did y'all have any unanswered questions? I do. I have a couple. Okay, great. I remembered that while I was watching this time, um, towards the end of the episode, based on my questions I have. But yes, my questions are, why does Nacero, or the shapeshifter, have to hold his hand in front of him to shapeshift? Does it help focus his energy? Or does it just block his face so that we don't have to work as hard at hiding it when we do our special effects? My second question is... How does Nacero decide who he's going to shift into? Are they people that he has seen? Are they people that he's killed? Like, does he have to just have seen them to be able to duplicate them? Does he have to have laid his hands on them? Does he have to have killed them? How is this uh, backpacker going to come into play? How did he choose to shape shift into this person next? Those are my questions. 
Those are great questions. I had nine? Nine questions? <laughs> okay. Sorry. But they're, they're all multi-parted. So. <laughs> so you have 20 questions. So first question, what were Nacedo's motives for discrediting Topolsky? What's his endgame? Wouldn't he want her to defeat the alien hunter? Or does he want to go after the alien hunter on his own? That's one question. <laughs> is Margolin a real doctor and Nacedo is just impersonating him? Or is all of this made up and Nacedo has such a complex operation that he can fake all the necessary records and have them for Jim the same day? I think option number one. And have people like on site to cover for him? How did Nacedo find out about Topolsky? How did he put this all together so quickly? How did everyone find out everything that they know in this episode so quickly? That's that's one question. Uh, where is Kyle? We haven't seen him in several episodes, and I miss him. <laughs> Obviously, where is Milton? Come back. <laughs> what happened with the killing of Hubble? How did the sheriff explain it? Were there any legal repercussions? What exactly did Agent Pierce do to Topolsky, and why? What purpose would this actually serve? Um, I want to know. It, so I thought that like when Jim found out that Agent Stevens was actually dead, that this would push him more towards believing Topolsky. But if he learns this information and still doesn't believe Topolsky, how does he think Agent Stevens died? Is he not suspicious about this? What does he think happened? And then final question. Who is Tess? Is she an alien? She's so pretty. She has to be an alien, right? Pretty people are all aliens, right? 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 Also, I would argue that Mahandra Delfina is just as pretty. So would I. She's so beautiful. Okay, so I feel like some of Lisa's questions this week lead pretty well into Lisa's predictions. So let's go there next. So the next episode we're going to see has the title Tess, Lies, and Videotape. What do you see happening next Mm. for our heroes and heroines based on that title? I think Tess is the liar and also maybe a videographer. (laughs) I don't know. I know we don't see Julie Benz again, so I hope that we find out what happened to her because it sure seems like we're not going to find out what happened to Milton. Hashtag justice for Milton. Hashtag Milton Watch 2000. I hope Kyle comes back. As I've said, I think we need to see him. And also, honestly, like... I want to see Kyle alternating between flirting with Max and flirting with Tess, but mostly flirting with Max. And I want to see more of Jim coming over to the kid's side. It seems like he's firmly on this path now where he's gone from being their enemy to being something of a reluctant ally. And so I wonder if there's a way for him to just become a full ally of them and like be invested in whatever it is they're trying to do without um, letting his own curiosity, his own scientific interest, his own like lawman responsibilities get in the way. Just being like, in a very human way, I want to be here for these kids and support them. And so maybe finding the communicator will push him along that path. I really want for the kids to stop with all of these ridiculous self-made conflicts. They have enough going on that's like, real problems that they don't need to keep creating drama amongst themselves. I want them to just work together to protect themselves and each other. So as usual, less predictions and more things that I hope happen. But, you know, <laughs> we'll see. All right. And then uh, we've just got one little thing left, and that would be our picks for Hot and Saucy this week. 
Now let's see who's hard and saucy. Lorena, who's your pick? My pick for Hot and Saucy is our favorite non-alien beautiful woman, Maria. And it is specifically the moment near the end when... After she's, I talked about it a few minutes ago in the episode, but the moment where she's gotten out of the car and she and Michael are kind of fighting, but she is like very emotional and very clearly saying what she wants. And basically that without saying so much that she loves him, that she's been waiting her whole life for him and she's being honest and vulnerable and emotional. And I think that that is H-O-T. Ashley, do you have one? Uh, yeah, so I've been thinking about it all episode. I'm going to go with Alex for just always being himself, man, and owning it. Yeah. I know we usually give this award to characters, but in this case, I would like to award mine this week to Julie Benz for being such a good actor, so versatile, and also just being willing to be very vulnerable and willing to not look totally flawless like she usually does she kind of looks like a mess in this episode and it 100% works but I like that there's this space for women to be something other than just a pretty thing to look at all the time she's actually like an interesting fleshed out character Mm -hmm. and I like that Before we leave you, we wanted to share another fun podcast with you. If you're listening to us, you obviously love podcasts and you love 90s vintage content and feels. And maybe you taped Roswell off TV onto some good old VHS tapes back in the day. So without further ado... Welcome to the Movie Cellar, where we have a VHS collection. So many fucking VHS tapes. An internet connection. It's acceptable. And extremely uninformed opinions. That you're kind of understating it. My name's Dan. I'm George. And I'm producer Chris. George, I really liked your interjections there. Yeah, it was a good Um, back and forth. So we're cutting a promo, so we should probably tell people what the fuck we do. Yeah, what do we do, producer Chris? What do you produce? We are a podcast that watches VHS tapes in alphabetical order. Yeah, man. That's basically it. We start the show with two movies on board from a certain letter of the alphabet. We flip a coin between them, take a brief intermission while we watch it, and then we come back and we talk about it. This one's way more boring. Like, this one sounds really good. good. This makes us sound like we know what the fuck we're doing. We don't. It's uninformed, man. Oh, shit. We're out of time. We're out of time. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this farewell to Agent Kathleen Topolsky. Goodbye. We'll be back on Tuesday, April 14th with episode 18, Test Lies and Videotape. For our next mini-sode next Tuesday, we will be starting a new series on UFO religions. So make sure you tune in next week for that. Also, you can subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice. And please give us a rating and a review there. It really helps other people find us on those podcatchers. As always, you can find show notes and more information at roswellhotsauce.com. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at roswellhotsauce where we regularly post bonus content. Have questions? Want to give us a topic for a mini-sode? Or just want to share your thoughts? Shoot us an email over at roswellhotsauce at gmail.com. 
Pass the Hot Sauce is produced and edited by Ashley Hullett, who was also our guest host for this episode. Our theme music is by David Belcourt. Our logo was designed by Billy Murray. Until next time, we've really enjoyed having Ashley join us, but don't worry. Well, it's not like I'm going to fall in love with her and tell her our secret and compromise our very existence. 